How I discovered that my friend was the greatest DM I've ever had. Hi everyone, All Things D&D is back with another story. The ability to create a compelling world full of life and adventure is not easy. But some people have the gift, and this DM masterfully brought in a new player into a multi-year epic campaign and made them feel involved and critical to the developing plot. Tell us about your greatest GM stories after listening to this one. So I joined a very long-term campaign late. Actually, campaign isn't the best word for it, as it includes about five players and multiple characters for each, all intertwining into a large multi-planar political discourse. How the DM so gracefully managed such a complex storyline, created entirely by the players' interactions with each other and existing evil forces, I will never know. But for now, let's start where I come in. I had played a few times with this DM, and had started to realize just how talented he was, so I decided that this next character would be more thought out and important to me personally. Enter Churchill, White Dragonborn Paladin of Glory. Churchill was the reincarnation of my first ever D&D character. His deity was his past self, as he existed in a cycle of rebirth before his spirit would return, bolster the true lesser god Churchill, and a small part would break off and be reborn on the material plane. He was lawful good, and simply had the goals of slaying evil, protecting the innocent, and achieving glory. This particular incarnation of Churchill had been pulled out of his home plane, into a dread domain through a random planar anomaly, creating a rift. He awoke in a large desert, and soon discovered he was not alone here. There was a tiefling near him who had suffered a similar fate. This character belonged to who we'll call Player A. She and Churchill quickly decided it was best they work together, to figure out where they were and how to escape. While traveling they meet another lost soul, an NPC servant of Barrowin, the most prominent character belonging to who we'll refer to as Player B, who had been trapped here with a curse, preventing him from leaving even by magical means. They continued pressing on, heading towards where the tiefling Xyla knew a city was located, as she originally hailed from this plane, but had escaped before. They travel through the desert fighting off several beasts on the way, and finding some small treasures, before reaching town. After resting, and Churchill acquiring new armor, as his adamantine plate proved to be an oven under the harsh sun, they heard tell of a mysterious pyramid, only visible during the brief two hours of darkness every week. Hoping to find a way to escape, they set out to find this pyramid. After a long trip, the party finds this pyramid, and after searching a few of the surrounding buildings and finding a few odd trinkets, they decide to enter. Once inside, they navigated to the main chamber, which consisted of a large platform suspended over a lake of lava, at the center of this platform was an elven man wearing a smoldering crown, pierced by a spear and bound with chains. This room was guarded by a fire dragon and a harrowing fight quickly began, and the party began to find themselves outmatched, until the tiefling, in a last-ditch effort, threw a love potion they had acquired into the dragon's gullet as it bit her. By a miracle, the potion took effect, and the dragon stopped its onslaught. It informed us that the elf was in fact a fallen god, though the nature of his fall was unknown. The dragon simply was tasked with guarding him, and we're informed that the crown on his head binds him, and only someone certain of their fate could remove it. It said this cryptically, to imply the difficulty and danger of trying to remove the crown. Churchill, who had been on a journey to find his fate and destiny, felt this statement resonate within him, and he approached the fallen god. As he did, the crown radiated searing heat. He placed his hands on the crown, and it singed his scaled hands, but he pushed through, pulling the crown from the elf's head, and placing it on his own. The sheer heat of the crown taking him within an inch of his life, nearly burning him to death, had he not willed through it. I kid you not, if I failed that save, he would have died outright. This was not planned, and the DM did not expect us to be able to remove the crown yet, planning a side quest for us to find another way to remove it. 
Upon donning the crown, it flared into brilliant flame, and Churchill's sword, an obsidian flame-tongue greatsword wielded by each incarnation, flared with it. The crown burned away, leaving a flaming crown above his head, and the sword became bolstered, becoming a new artifact, the Fate Blade. Now, up until this point, it had been a pretty typical game. Aside from the mention of a few names I didn't know, this campaign had been pretty isolated, and its own thing. However, upon returning to town, that all changed. Enter Nara, a character belonging to Player B, and an apprentice to his first character, a powerful wizard, and servant to the previously mentioned Barrowin, who we will touch on in more detail later. She had come after the cursed man Tamond, who we had been traveling with to find a way out. She brought with her a crystal that could freely teleport individuals, who touched it between the prime material plane and this domain. However, the aforementioned curse prevented this, but we had another way. The fallen god we had rescued said he could break the curse if we helped him retrieve his lost power. Pretty par for the course for D&D, I thought. And we agreed, setting off to find an ancient dragon, who he had stated held the key to his power. So the party set off to find a dragon, some more worried than others. Churchill was confident that they would find and slay this dragon, though his more intelligent compatriots ran the numbers and did not like their odds. The party ventured into the dragon's den, with Churchill leading the charge mostly because he wasn't scared, and the rest of the party figured if anyone could survive a dragon sneak attack, the dragon born in heavy armor was the best bet. Upon entering the dragon's horde, they came face to face with a gargantuan dragon with the hood of a cobra. After getting nowhere with words, it unleashed its fire breath on the party, annihilating Nara's undead minions and taking a sizable amount of everyone's health. Churchill took the first turn to heal and buff himself, before charging in with Tamond, the tiefling dipped into the ethereal plane to search for the treasure they were after. The fallen god buffed the fighters with what power he had left, and Nara summoned a greater demon and fell back to attempt to survive, only to be taken down by the dragon's yon Ti servant. Though through her necromancy, she was able to pull herself back to consciousness. The fight was touch and go. Churchill put smite after smite into the dragon, dealing the majority of the damage, while Tamond and the demon fought more strategically. Eventually, Churchill was knocked unconscious due to his choice to keep attacking rather than fall back and heal. But the dragon fell after the tiefling returned, summoning her astral arms to punch the dragon. After this, the god claimed his power, and Churchill filled his pockets with as much platinum as he could carry, before being pulled back along with the group to Barrowin's Keep. It was at this point when the climax of the overarching story struck, and Churchill and I as a player were completely in over our heads. Upon being greeted by Barrowin, it became immediately apparent that this dwarf was far from good-natured. The tiefling questioned him about her people, who he had been sheltering, and he unashamedly admitted to selling them to a group of Duragar claiming he thought they wanted to eat them, and reasoned that the tieflings had betrayed him by allowing an elven army to enter his keep, to try and take him out. Of course, they had failed. Upon this, Churchill took the side of Zyla, his only friend and companion, since he found himself in this mess. Two sides quickly formed. Zyla and Churchill were backed by a mysterious figure, wielding the hand and eye of Vecna, who was an ally of Zyla and her people. He claimed it was high time Barrowin was taken care of, and Barrowin, Tamond, Nara, and a few of the previously mentioned Durigar soldiers. To further break things down, it was me as Churchill, player A as Zyla, and the NPC who had the artifacts of Vecna, who was apparently a friend of the tieflings Barrowin had sold off into slavery. Against Barrowin and Nara, both characters controlled by player B, Tamond, a DMPC, and the Duragar minions. The fight was chaotic, but I will simplify it here for the listener's sake. The fight started with Nara attempting and failing to banish Churchill and Zyla. In response, Churchill rushed the apprentice wizard, who hardly had the time to utter an oh shit, and a seven-foot dragonborn knocked her unconscious with one hit and drove his blade into her to finish her off. Zyla and the wielder of the artifacts of Vecna took on Barrowin, and after a crit with a Vorpal sword, Barrowin was slain. Unfortunately, the Archmage, Player B's oldest character and Nara's master, entered, seeing Churchill over his apprentice's corpse. 
He then banished Churchill to a maze. Now about three rounds of combat happen while I'm trapped in that demi plane, and about five other big characters arrive to join the fray. Now, sadly I can't explain this combat, as I don't understand the complex political background. What I do know is the mage's concentration was broken, and upon his return Churchill fled, completely out of his depth, and Xyla, his friend and the Vecna wielder graciously offered to teleport him away, to seek out a new life away from this mess. That's where this part of the story ends. Churchill and his friend Xyla part ways, as Churchill frankly had no clue how to assist her battle, but he wished her well. He set out with the riches from the dragon's hoard he had grabbed earlier, to create a new life for himself. Now, it's possible I will revisit Churchill, but as of writing he's currently an inactive character. In the end, most people likely would have felt turned off by this confusion, but for me, I saw the DM masterfully intertwining years of quests, characters, and NPCs into a grand climax. I simply didn't have the context. This excites me, as with this climax being resolved over the next few sessions, which I opted to not be a part of, as I do not have characters involved, a new grand adventure will be starting. While this old epic will still strongly influence the world, all of us players are starting fresh in the fallout with new characters, and I for one am incredibly excited to forge my own narrative in the world of the greatest DM I've ever had. I'm so excited to see what the DM is going to do next. With the slate more or less wiped clean and a fresh start of new characters, who knows what's going to happen next. The endless possibilities is what I love about D&D. Please let us know what you think and comment below. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel All Things D&D. Our videos are posted every Tuesday and Friday, so stay tuned for more amazing Dungeons & Dragons content.